It is so good to be here in worship at Fellowship Hall with all of you and all of you at home as well. As you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series titled, Our Church, Christ's Home. And San Marino is really a church where Jesus Christ lives. The two passages today are life-changing. If we would take them seriously, we would have a different world. Listen to this passage, which occurs after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ appeared to his disciples in Galilee. Remember, he was crucified in Jerusalem, but he's resurrected in Jerusalem, and now in Galilee, he appears to his disciples. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. And then this text from Mark chapter 3, which is really the call of the very first disciples and the way Jesus wants to call us to follow him. Jesus went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So Jesus appointed the 12, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, pour through me, please, the gift of preaching, that whether we are here in Fellowship Hall or whether we are tuning in at home, we might hear a word from you that will be life-changing for us. And most of all, O oh God, may these words inspire us to take the next step on our journey of faith with you. All this we pray with great anticipation, and we pray in the strong name of Jesus, our risen and reigning Christ. Amen. The balcony that I served in New Providence, New Jersey, went all the way around the sanctuary on three sides. There was an unwritten rule that the junior high school kids always sat in the left-hand side of the balcony, and the high school kids always sat in the right-hand side of the balcony. Well, one summer during the Olympic Games, the congregation was enthralled with the Olympics, and they were watching the track and field competition and all of that. But actually, many people also love the gymnastics. When after gymnastics routine, you may remember that the judges would post on the electronic scoreboard 9.1, 9.2, 9.3. So one Sunday after my sermon during the Olympic Games, I came down from the pulpit, and I noticed a stir in the congregation. I noticed people were laughing and giggling, and I wondered what was going on. I looked up into the senior high balcony, and one senior high school kid was holding up a sign right after my sermon that said 9.8. 
Another held up a sign that said 9.9. Another held up a sign that said 10.0. I was feeling so great about their assessment of my preaching. But then, uh, senior high, then I realized that some of those kids were high school seniors, and all of them had asked me to write college recommendations for them. And I realized it wasn't such a good compliment after all. One of the senior high advisors held up his assessment of my sermon, 2.4. <laughs> I tried to excommunicate him for years, but unsuccessfully. Now, the late theologian and author, Dr. Carlisle Marney, employs the metaphor of a balcony to make a profound theological point. Marney says that deep within every human being is a desire to be blessed, a desire to be appreciated. And in God's grace, God puts people in our lives who could actually call forth gifts in us that we may not even know that we had. And Marnie gave these people an unforgettable name, a memorable name, a delightful name, and the name is Balcony People. Marnie says, Balcony People sit in the balcony of our lives, and they call out gifts from us we maybe didn't even know we had. I wish I could have a moment with each of you today to ask you who's been a balcony person in your life, because I love to know who has been somebody who's made a difference in your life and helped you become the person you are today. If I had such a conversation with you, I have a feeling I would hear about high school teachers or college professors or graduate school professors or supervisors in the business world or neighbors or grandparents or parents or very special friends or maybe roommates or people who throughout your life, maybe a coach, who called forth a gift in you that you didn't even know that you had and it helped you become who you are today. Who's been a balcony person in your life? In my life, a balcony person was a man named Hetz Marsh. Hetz was a, a student at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania when our family was members of Southminster Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. Our family had a great relationship with that church, and Hetz came that this summer as a summer intern, much like Eugene and Briand, who are going to be interns this summer here at San Marino, are interns this summer. Hetz came to our church, and he needed to, to activate the youth group. So he wanted to do something that would get more young men out into the, to the service of Christ and the church, so he started a program called Basketball and Bible Study. Frankly, none of us in the senior high youth group cared much about the Bible study, but we wanted to play basketball with Hetz because he was known in the Pittsburgh area as one of the best basketball players. He played high school basketball, college basketball. He was tremendous. We were in awe of his ability. So we wanted to play basketball with him, but we didn't care at all about the Bible study. Well, we started to study the book of Romans and played basketball in Romans. Well, as the summer went on, what do you think happened? The basketball got shorter and the Bible study got longer, actually at our request, because we were enthralled with the book of Romans. Romans talks about God's the theodicy question. If God is good and God is sovereign, why is there suffering and evil in the world? We also discussed predestination, and these questions were fascinating to us. How can you know God's will in your life? As we discussed Romans, we got so enthralled, we spent more time with the Bible study and less time with the basketball. At the end of the summer, I'll never forget it, the last night of the summer program, and Hetz drove me home after the basketball and Bible study, and he asked me a question that changed my life. He said, Tom, have you ever thought about becoming a minister? I said, why would anybody want to be a minister? He said, well, frankly, I'll tell you why. He said, it's the only profession in the world where you have the privilege of being with people at the very best and the very worst times of their life.
if a couple wants to get married, they call you to do the wedding. And if they have trouble in their marriage or are going to get a divorce, they sometimes call you for marital counseling. If a child has a baby, they call you so you can do the baptism. But if there's a death in their family, they call you so you can come to the hospital. And it's the only profession, Tom, where you have the privilege of walking alongside people and representing God in their life. And frankly, you're not trying to sell them life insurance or a financial package. You're just walking alongside them and representing God. And you obviously like Romans and you like people. And I just think the ministry is something you might consider. But I'm not laying this on you. I'm not telling you it's something you've got to do. I'm just telling you that I'm suggesting it. Pray about it. Think about it. Talk to me about it. Talk to your parents about it. Talk to Southminster Church about it and see if it fits. It's like trying on a sport coat. And so I'm so excited for Brianne this summer and for Eugene to have the opportunity to come to this church as Hetz Marsh came to our church. And actually later, I became a summer intern at Southminster Church as Brianne and Eugene are going to be here. And I had the privilege of trying on the ministry and seeing if it fit. And I got to preach, and I got to teach, and I got to work with the youth group and talk to call on adults in their homes, and, and I found the ministry fit for me. And what I realized is Hetz Marsh was inviting me into a relationship with him and Southminster Church, a relationship with balcony people who could encourage me, correct me, point out my flaws, help me get better. And in that nurturing environment of Southminster Presbyterian Church, I discovered what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and a minister of the gospel. It changed my life. Be very sure. Whenever Jesus invites you to follow him, as he did the first disciples in Mark chapter 3, we just read about, whatever Jesus says follow, he's inviting us to do something. He's inviting us into a relationship with him. He's inviting us to come and follow him and walk with him. Jesus knew that discipleship is easier caught than taught. So he didn't ask his first followers to come and to enroll in the University of Jerusalem or the University of Galilee in a theological course. He invited them to follow him, to share life with him. And what did they do together? Think about it. They walked miles together. Jesus sometimes walked 5 and 10, 15, or 20 miles in a day in Palestine. It was a rugged terrain. But the disciples walked with Jesus, and they saw him experience life with them. They caught fish in the Sea of Galilee together. They laughed together. And they cooked those fish over a charcoal fire together. And all the while, they were talking about God. And Jesus was teaching them. But it was not only academic teaching. They learned academically about love. They learned his teaching about love. But they also saw love enacted in him. He taught them about servant leadership. But they also saw servant leadership embodied in him when he washed their feet. He taught them about sacrifice. But they saw sacrifice in him when he died on the cross. See, Jesus invited them to live life with him. His life is all about relationships. As they got into a relationship with him, they discovered what it really means to follow God is to incarnate God's love to others. They saw it embodied in flesh and blood. Now, when Jesus told us and his disciples to go and make disciples of other people, what he's saying is we, he wants us to invite others to share life with us too. Because discipleship is either easier caught than taught. It's all about relationships. So, so when you get into it, as you get to know people, as you ask them to think about following God in their own way, you're really inviting them into your life, into a relationship with you. Two of the theologians that I most admire today are William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas. They teach at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. 
And they said this about following Jesus. The manner in which most of us became Christians was by looking over someone else's shoulder, emulating some admired older Christian, saying yes to a way of life that was made accessible by someone else. Although movies and books and classes might play a part in confirmation class, they are all subservient to the main task of putting younger Christians in proximity with older Christians, mentors we will call them, as they both look over one another's shoulders as they learn what it means to be Christian. I was so excited to read in, the, in your connections in the newspaper for San Marino this past week about the confirmands in this church who looked over the shoulders of older people in this church and they said how much they admired the older people in the church and Jeff O'Grady and Jessica Von Lohr and the musicians and how much they got out of watching other people be Christians and it inspired them. That's what being a nurturing fellowship of the church is all about. Now, I saw this embodied so well in that New Providence Presbyterian Church, the church with the balcony that went three sides around the sanctuary. Jerry Mills, my predecessor at that church, had started the greatest confirmation class I have ever heard of or seen in any church anywhere. Jerry did something that I'd never seen any pastor do. He asked the eighth graders and the ninth graders to meet. He gave them a list of all the current and former elders at the church, and their names, their addresses, their phone numbers, and he said, pick an elder, and that elder is going to teach you the confirmation class. I said to Jerry, how did you get the elders to say yes? Because the elders are some of the busiest people in the church. How did you get them to say yes? They're chairing committees. They're chairing worship. They're chairing property and grounds. They're chairing finance. How did you get them to say yes? And with a wry smile, Jerry smiled, and he said, I asked the 8th and ninth graders in the confirmation class to call the elders and ask them if they'd be willing to teach them their confirmation class. And he said, nobody ever said no. How do you say no to an 8th or ninth grader who wants you to teach their confirmation class? So he said they met one-on-one. -on -one. I designed a curriculum, gave them some Bible study and some theology books to read and study and pray together. But most of all, I wanted them to share life together. What Jerry Mills said was what Willem on Hauerwas talked about. He said, I want these young people to look over somebody else's shoulder and to see what it's like to be a Christian. What it's like to be a Christian in the neighborhood. What it's like to be a Christian on the school board. What it's like to be a Christian as they walk around in life together. And, and he said, I wanted the young people to see that. And, and Jerry got his own daughter, Judy Mills, and Lois Flanagan, an elder in the New Providence Presbyterian Church, paired them up in the confirmation class. And Lois and Judy spent a year together, meeting weekly, reading Scripture together, praying together, talking together, but also talking about what it means to follow Jesus together. Now, here's what's interesting about Lois and Judy. Judy Mills said to me, I got them on the phone the other day, and I asked them about this program and what it meant to them for sermon research for today's sermon. And it's interesting, Judy said to me, Tom, every teenager needs an adult other than their parents, who the parents trust, but to whom they can talk and share their real issues of life and their real questions of life and their real challenges and problems of life. Every teenager needs that, and I found that in Lois Flanagan. Lois was also a pastor's daughter, so she knew some of the challenges of being a daughter of a pastor and being living in life in a fishbowl. And Judy said, when I made my faith profession in Jesus Christ, Lois Flanagan was there. When I wanted to learn how to bake and how to be a homemaker, Lois Flanagan was there. When I wanted to learn what it was like to be a Christian, Lois Flanagan taught me all that. 
She said, you know, when I went away to college, Lois Flanagan sent me cookies. They were called mystery cookies. She sent them to my dorm, and I had cookies all through my college years. She said, when I needed a wallpaper in my bathroom, she said, I called Lois. What are you doing? Lois came over, and she taught me how to wallpaper a bathroom. By the way, greater love is no one than this, that an elder would teach a child how to wallpaper the bathroom. I mean, it was amazing the way she taught. But then when Lois's husband, Dick, got very sick, Judy watched Lois deal with the person she loved most in the world, and that person was dying. And Lois was faithful to Dick, and she loved Dick, and she cared for Dick until he breathed his last. Judy's father, Jerry Mills, my predecessor at this church in New Providence, was dying this past year, and Judy loved her dad to the end. And when Lois and Judy were on the phone the other day, uh, Lois commented, she said, Judy, I just admired the way you loved your dad, the way you, you cared for him until his, he breathes his last. And then Judy said very poignantly, Lois, I learned how to do this by watching you. I, I watched the way you loved Dick and the way you loved him to the end, and you were with him when he breathed his last, and I realized I wanted to do that for my father the way you did it for your husband, Dick Flanagan. And Lois, you modeled that for me. But don't you see what happened there? These two people became balcony people for one another. Now, let me let you in on a secret. I called Lois and Judy. I said, how long ago was it that you were an elder and a member of the confirmation class? And they said, Tom... This year will be 50 years. That was 1971. They've been balcony people for, for each other over all these 50 years, and they've shared life together. It's been a beautiful thing. See, this is why I'm so excited about Brianne coming and Eugene coming to this church. They're going to have an opportunity to be balcony people for your kids and for you. And you're going to have an opportunity to be balcony people for them, to inspire them to be and to do their very best. And it's going to be wonderful to see what's going to happen. And I'm so excited about these listening sessions that Jessica Von Lohr is conducting now when she's asking you all, what is your dream for the, for the San Marino Presbyterian Church? Do you know I've, I've had the privilege to consult with dozens and dozens and dozens of congregations all over this country and most of them are older, people in their 70s, 80s, 90s, or beyond, and they don't have any children in the church. Many churches don't have any confirmants. They don't have any high school kids. But your church has children and teenagers and people in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You're truly intergenerational. I hope one of your dreams for the church is to have younger Christians looking over the shoulder of older Christians like Judy looked over Lois's shoulder. And I hope you'll provide opportunities for people like Lois, older people, to look over younger people like Judy's shoulder and together learn what it means to be Christian. An intergenerational church is a joy. It was commonplace in 1971. It is not commonplace in 2021. You are very blessed and fortunate to have it. And this is also why I'm so excited about this pastoral residency program where next year you're going to have students like Brianna and Eugene, but they're going to come for two years as a pastoral resident in San Marino and get immersed in the church and find out about the church and learn from wonderful people like Marilyn Manning at Monta Vista Grove and Ron White and Tom Erickson. 
These are tremendous people. Gary Demarest, this is a treasure trove for these young people to learn about what it's like to do ministry from these people who've done it for years. And for the older people, they're going to learn from the younger people, and San Marino is going to be the beneficiary. Claim the treasure of this intergenerational church where you can be a nurturing fellowship. That's what the Church of Christ was meant to be, a nurturing fellowship where everybody can blossom and everybody can become who they were meant to be because we're balanced people for one another. I want to leave you with one last question, not just who's sitting in your balcony, but in whose balcony are you sitting? Everyone, everyone, regardless of age, nobody's too young or too old to be a balcony person. Everyone is a person of influence. Everybody can be a balcony person. Everybody can be the kind of person who impacts others and influences others. In whose balcony might you be sitting? Who is God calling you to influence? Somebody in your neighborhood? Somebody in your office? Somebody sitting at church with you today? Somebody in your family? Somebody who lives near you, works by you? You start by praying for them and by thinking about them and figuring out how, what are ways that you can serve them. 25 years ago this summer was the 1996 Olympic Games. And one of the greatest events in the history of the Olympics occurred, and I know in the Summer Olympics, you're going to see videos of this event that occurred 25 years ago. It's when the women's gymnastics team of the United States of America was going up against the Soviet Union and China and the other nations. But the United States had never won a women's gold medal in women's gymnastics. Russia had won many gold medals, but the United States had never won one. So we were locked in a battle with the Soviet Union, and it went down to the last event. The Soviet Union... Russia was on the floor exercise. The United States was on the vault. Whoever got the highest score was going to win. The United States had a slim lead going into it. And Carrie Strug, do you remember this was our last vaulter? Well, on her preliminary vault, she slipped and sprained her ankle and got a 9.1, but she sprained her ankle, and she was writhing in pain. And she went to her coach, Bella Caroli, and she said, Coach, do you really need me in this last vault? I'm not sure I can do it because I'm in such pain with a sprained ankle. And he said, Carrie, we need you. She said, well, what score do I need to get? He said, I don't know, but we, we know it's going to be more than a 9.1. You're going to probably need a 9.3 or a 9.4. You're really going to have to stick the landing. It's going, to be, it's going to hurt, but you've got to stick the landing to get the gold medal. And Carrie, you could do this. But Carrie Strug was scared. The Russians completed their floor exercise. The United States still had a slim lead. But if Carrie didn't get a high score, the U.S. wouldn't win the gold medal. So Carrie Strug stands at the end of the runway, and she eyes that vault down there, and Right before she's about to run down the runway with fear etched on her face, with worry in her soul, wondering, can I do it? She looked over at her coach, Bella Caroli, who was sitting over here, and maybe you remember this. She looked over at him, and Bella Caroli stood up, and he screamed to her, Carrie, you can do it. And Carrie Strug looked at that vault, and she ran down as fast as she could. She vaulted up. She did the somersault in the air, and she stuck the landing, and it hurt. And writhing in pain, she stood up, saluted the judges, and then she collapsed. And Bella Caroli carried her off the floor. They watched together as the score came up on the electronic scoreboard. 9.71 
and the United States of America won the gold medal. We'd never won it before. But I think that gold medal was won in the mind of that coach, that balcony person who said, Carrie, you can do it. Every one of us is called to be a balcony person. We don't know to whom we're a balcony person. We don't even know if we are a balcony person. But I tell you, you're sitting in somebody's balcony, and you may not help them win the gold medal in gymnastics, but you might help them face a challenge with a spouse who's got Alzheimer's. Or you may help them face a challenge with a child who's got an addiction, an addictive personality. Or you may help them face a challenge in their neighborhood with somebody in their HOA. Or you may help them face a challenge at work where somebody needs to stand up and say, hey, you can do it. You can be a balcony person. God's counting on you. And I close with a thought that someday, someday, you and I are going to meet our ultimate balcony person, Jesus Christ. And when we meet Jesus Christ, he's not going to stand up and hold a sign that says 9.8, 9.9, 10.0. Instead, Jesus is going to say seven words to you and me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I tell you the truth, those are the only words in all the world worth living for. Amen.